This edition of The Wellness Prescription is brought to you by Healthy Planet, making the world healthier and greener one day at a time. Welcome, everyone. This is The Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you all for joining me today. Maintaining a healthy weight is a common goal for many. Sometimes people become so focused on it that it leads to extreme and unhealthy habits. It can lead to what is known as disordered eating. Joining me today to shed some light on the causes of it, as well as the ways we can help remove the stigma, is eating disorder specialist Kyla Fox. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. I feel like we should start with having you explain what is disordered eating? What does it look like to others? So disordered eating is along the spectrum of eating disorders as well. So one of the things that's really important to remember is that when people are struggling with disordered eating, they might be impacted by things like restricting certain foods from their diet or not being allowed to eat at certain times or in certain ways or in certain quantities, or that when they do eat, they may have to compensate through exercise or activity or different means. So disordered eating is sort of like having rules and rituals that people might have to follow in order to feel safe with food, in order to feel comfortable with food, in order to feel safe in their body. But it's a blurry area because that also can lead to eating disorders. And sometimes people feel like it's very hard to distinguish what is disordered eating and what is eating disorders. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that some of these rituals or rules that people end up following are really supported in our culture through diet culture and our wellness culture. There's so much information about don't do this or only do this or just eat that or don't eat at this time. And so a lot of these ideologies are normalized and notwithstanding the fact that that can lead people to feeling in their own ways really imprisoned by what they can and cannot do with food. That makes a lot of sense. And I feel like we kind of all fall into that um and I don't want to use the word trap, but you kind of fall into it because, you know, some people are saying don't eat fruit because it's sugar. Some people are saying don't have grains when really it's not a it's about combinations. And but what does that look like? So for somebody like myself, if I'm living with or friends with somebody who has an eating disorder, per se, what does that look like to me as the person on the outside? So like, what would you see? Is that what you mean? What would you see? Yeah. So one of the things I think is important to recognize is that you would see probably behaviors in, in, in a person's relationship with food in their body. You might see things like the ways their body is shifting or changing, or you might notice how their eating habits are shifting or changing. Maybe you would see that your kids would bring their lunch home or that they would be hiding food in their room or that they wouldn't be hungry for dinner let's say, quote unquote, because they already ate, you know, different ways that people would get out of being with food or not no longer want to engage in, in eating those certain things that they once really enjoyed. But then beyond that, what you would see is probably um, things affecting a person's affect, like their sense of happiness and joy or being maybe more highly irritable or more irrational or not wanting to participate in things that they used to or not wanting to connect with people that they used to. So often behaviors around eating disorders lead to a lot of isolation, lead to a lot of concurrent depression and anxiety, a lot of sadness. And I think what most people talk about is just the overall shift 
that they see in a person, that they're no longer the way that they used to be. So what are the eating disorders that are prevalent? Well, it's a great question. I mean, I think the DSM clearly outlines really concrete eating disorders. And when we think about them culturally, we probably think about things like anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, orthorexia, and so on and so forth. But one of the things that I think is really important to remember about eating disorders, similar to the uh, spectrum of eating disorders and disordered eating, is also the spectrum and fluidity of eating disorders. Like the way that I talk about it professionally and in my center is that we recognize that a lot of people may not fit the box of anorexia and may not fit the box of bulimia, but they have a lot of the attributes, just not perfectly like the box suggests. Because often people with eating disorders are fluid in their symptoms of binging, purging, and restricting. And most people who are impacted by eating disorders along the journey of their life in suffering, however long that may be, they tend to swap through different parts of those symptoms. And so it's very rare that someone would say, you know, I've had this eating disorder for my entire life. Usually those symptoms have shifted and changed. And I think the reason why it's important to recognize that is because I think a lot of people feel like they might not even be doing the eating disorder right because they don't do it exactly like how the box should say, or, you know, they might have all those symptoms, but their body doesn't necessarily fall into that box category. And so I think when we can talk about eating disorders as being more fluid and really understanding them in that way, it really welcomes people to come forward with the ways that they're suffering and not feeling shameful about it. And would that, uh, would that, that fluidity and that not being like strictly in one category over another, is that going to be confusing to the person who's kind of suffering through this disorder? They're not going to really understand. They may not even believe that they have an eating disorder because they don't fit the mold. I think that's exactly part of it as well. I think you've, you've nailed it. That, that, that piece of, you know, people who are often suffering don't feel like they're suffering really or in the right way or what would, what would really deem them to be suffering. And so they also may not even acknowledge that they have a problem or even people around them may not even acknowledge that they have a problem. When it comes to, you know, and these are the big ones that most of us know about and, and have heard about and have had somebody in our lives who is, um, you know, who has the condition. So anorexia, bulimia, but binge, um, binge eating, that's, that's a common one. And what's orthorexia? Yeah. So binge eating disorder is actually the most prevalent eating disorder of most all eating disorders, unbeknownst to what people think. Most people, when they think about eating disorders, they think about someone who is like restricting their food or is in an underweight body. But actually binge eating disorder is the most common eating disorder where people will engage in um, being with food, maybe in a form of really quite overt binging, objective binging that looks like feeling very, very out of control with food, feeling like maybe you can't stop eating, feeling like you're eating more than you need to. That's a way that binge eating can look. But binge eating can also look like um, objectively eating you know, relatively in a normalized way, except that the person engaging with the food 
feels deeply out of control, feels deeply shameful and guilty and 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 lots and the lots of those binging having binged feelings end up coming forward. So binging also within itself has a spectrum like every other eating disorder symptom and that's that's often why it can be um, challenging to note as well because it's not always looking the same for each and every person. And orthorexia is another eating disorder that's really prevalent in our culture as well, which is really built on the ideas of like clean and healthy eating and really is supported therefore by diet culture and wellness culture around like what to eat and how eating needs to be like, yeah, like I said, super clean and, you know, people can become incredibly consumed with how, how they have to choose food, where it comes from, where it's sourced from, you know, all of those particularities around food that gets really, really supported culturally as well. So it's hard to determine that that's actually an eating disorder when it's really praised culturally. But the, these kinds of rules and rituals around clean eating um, can really imprison people because people don't have the agency and the freedom to be able to be in the world with food safely because of all those rules and rituals they have to follow. So it's not just simple as saying, you know, I'm going to eat really clean 80% of the time or really healthy. And then 20% of the time, you know, we kind of throw caution to the wind. That's not how they operate. They have to have a certain, like, that's not a set of rules that would make them uh, feel good about their food relationship. I think for a lot of people impacted by eating disorders, that wouldn't make them, that wouldn't necessarily make them feel good if that was their rule. But some people affected by eating disorders might have, let's say, that 80-20 philosophy. But maybe when they're in that 20 zone, they feel deeply depressed or deeply guilty or deeply shameful, right? Even though they've opened up the channel to say, like, I'm, quote unquote, allowed this, or like, it's Friday, and it's the weekend, so I can do this. Like, all of these ways that we our behaviors through our ideas, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that people aren't left feeling really, really sad and shameful about it. So over the last, let's say, couple of decades or decade, have you noticed that the motivation around disordered eating and eating disorders has changed because of like social media? Do you feel like that plays a role in how people are, um, you know, developing eating disorders? It's interesting because I've been practicing now for 20 years and I opened the center after being in my practice for 10 years. So the center is now 11 years old. So um, the trajectory when I consider the like the sort of longstanding career that I've had in this work, you know, social media has infiltrated, of course, in the last decade, as you said. And, and I think that social media plays a very big part um, of all of our lives and shapes us in all kinds of ways. Certainly, it's giving out tons of information about beauty, about acceptance, about power, about what is right and what is wrong when it comes to food and the body. And I think, of course, we're all vulnerable to receiving that message, those messages and seeing those images. Um, I think that um, like social media on its own um, I'm not sure if that if we would sort of name that as the cause of eating disorder development, but it certainly becomes a massive contributor to the 
self-concept that a person experiences to a person's sense of self, to a person's um, place in the world when you're constantly looking outside of yourself to get information about who you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to look like, what you're supposed to be doing or not doing, and who you follow can, can, can be very, very impactful in terms of what shapes your life. So I, I think that, yes, social media has played an active part in reinforcing really harmful patterns around food and the body and glorifying certain, you know, like thin bodies and what's beautiful and all of these kinds of pieces and shaming fat and there being fat phobia and all these parts of our culture. But I also feel like COVID really played a very, very active role in, in elevating and escalating the development of, of eating disorders even further over the last handful of years for sure. When you describe somebody with an eating disorder, it doesn't it doesn't always have to be about the thin culture. It sounds to me like sometimes it's about, you know, you know, when they're in that that like deeply, you know, depressed and 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 um you know, they're, they're feeling bad about themselves. Sometimes it's, it's also about having no control, not having a place in the world. So the eating disorder is just kind of a symptom of maybe what they're, what's happening in their outside world. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I think a lot of the misconceptions about eating disorders is actually like the thinking is that they're about food and they're about the body, but they're actually not about food and they're not about the body. They become about food in the body because food in the body act as sort of like a manifestation of what's going on with a person at a much deeper level. But eating disorders are about what's going on with people biologically, genetically, emotionally, relationally. It's about the story of our life. It's about the things that we've been through. It's about how we cope or how we don't know how to. It's about the support systems that we have. It's about the way that we feel about ourselves. So it's so much deeper, as you name, than just food and the body. Food and the body become, like you said, the symptom or the way in which it's articulated. But the work really in healing is about helping someone through all of those other parts of themselves and learning how to manage that instead of taking it out on food and the body. Now, is there still a stigma around eating disorders? Yes, for sure. I mean, I think we're getting better at speaking out about it. I mean, Eating Disorder Awareness Week now exists and there's so many people who speak out about their struggles and suffering and there's mention of all of these things, which is wonderful and it and we're making steps in the right direction. But yes, I, I really do still feel like shame exists. I think there still exists a lot of stigma for sure. Um, I think it's really scary for people to, to come out with with suffering the ways that they do. And I still think eating disorders are very misunderstood. From the sounds of it and from what I'm gaining from my conversation with you, I feel like it is it is misunderstood and and it's term the term eating disorder is really not what it's about. It's about the person. And I feel like that's probably where the stigma comes from because it's just about a person trying to, you know, figure themselves out. And it's not an easy world we live in. And why do you think that COVID was one of the, you know, one of the things that really escalated or elevated the incidence of people with eating disorders? Well, there were so many unbelievable patterns with binging, purging, and restricting that we all faced in the world, right? Like, if you actually think about it, like we were entirely restricted as people when COVID hit. And then in addition, like if we th think specifically, so that led people to being like very 
very out of control. There was so much fear. There was so much of so much unknown. There was so much unpredictability. Like all of these things lead people to finding new and different ways to control something or to have some element of control and security, or ultimately to soothe the, soothe themselves of the lack of control that they were feeling. And then I think also there was a lot of messaging, tons of messaging around like shortage of food and how scary it was to go to grocery stores. And, you know, there was just so much fear around food and being out and what you're eating and what you're bringing in your home and, you know, uh, how much do you really need and stock up, like all these mixed messages all the time. And I think that really led to a lot of harmful behaviors for people when, when it came, when it came to food as well. When we come back, Eating Disorder Awareness Week. This is the Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Connect with us on Twitter at 105.9 The Region or call 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. This is 105.9 The Region. The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia on 105.9 The Region. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to The Wellness Prescription. Before the break, Kyle and I were discussing the struggles for those with an eating disorder and how COVID and social media may be a contributing factor. So, Kyla, what can we do as a family or a friend for someone with an eating disorder? One of the things that people think when they love someone who's suffering with an eating disorder is they think, like, how do I get that person help? What do I do to help that person? And often what's really important to remember is sometimes that person isn't ready or isn't willing or isn't able. There might be a lot of barriers around that, or they might, they might be, they might be there. But one of the things I say to family members and loved ones is like, you must get involved in the care and not just peripherally in the hopes that you get that person you love into care or into getting the help that they need but really about getting involved in the process getting involved in the treatment because when you work with families we work with we work with families all the time and loved ones and when you work with people who are surrounding the person directly affected by the eating disorder change actually happens so much quicker because when a person is supported by the people around them who love them, they can move through their recovery in very, very different ways. And that's because, as we were talking about before, you know, eating disorders, they live in people's lives. They live in people's relationships. And so those people in that person's life need to be a part of the process to heal. Um, so there's really, I, I cannot stress enough the importance that if you love someone who's suffering to join them in, in their care, to help being a part of the solution. I also think it's very powerful to model what it means to get help and that you're not afraid to do it either. I think that sets a really beautiful example that that person shouldn't feel scared to step into, to, to getting help. Like a team effort, a family effort. You want to know that you have full support and unconditional love. Um, I think that would apply to anything. So why not help, you know, why not extend that over to something like an eating disorder? But before we talk about what recovery looks like, I think an important question that I would like to know the answer to is how young do clients come to you with an eating disorder? Can it happen at a very young age or is it something that happens in the teenage years? Or can it happen when you're like in your 30s and 40s? What I always say is that eating disorders don't discriminate. 
you know, there is no one kind of person or categorically one, one age, you know, bracket of people who suffer with eating disorders. Eating disorders are widespread. I think there's a lot of thinking that it's like an adolescent girl and that, that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, when we work with kids as young as six, we work with, you know, men as old as 65, 70, we work with, you know, everything in between the most like highly functional, capable people that are out in the world doing incredible things who are suffering. And, you know, the spectrum is just enormous. And you, you say suffering, does the, does the person who has the eating disorder, is it really a suffering? Are they aware most of the time that they have um, an unhealthy relationship with their food? It is, it is the most tremendous suffering that a person experiences. I think one of the things to remember about eating disorders is that they are the, the, they are the most prevalent mental health issues. Eating disorders live in a person's mind. The, the thoughts that a person has to experience, the behaviors that they have to engage in around food in the body are so deeply harmful. They're tormenting. They're torturous. Living with an eating disorder is... Uh, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I, you can hear me. I don't even have the words to express just how unbelievably devastating and torturous it is. So yes, it is, it is suffering to the maximum. And when it comes to recovery, so let's say you have a client whose family and loved ones are, you know, on the bandwagon, everybody wants to be involved in this. What does recovery look like? It's not like, like an, um, a, a person suffering from, you know, alcoholism where you kind of have to like get them off of it. What does it look like? What, what is the plan? Um, recovery is long-term and there's a lot of reasons why you mentioned alcoholism. And I think there's often like some kind of a comparison sometimes of like recovering from alcoholism or a drug addiction, recovering from an eating disorder. But the fundamental difference even between that is that someone who has an addiction to alcohol or drugs can understand that not using is the path forward to wellness. You don't have that privilege, if you will, when it comes to food because you need food to live. So in essence, that that sort of abstinent piece, like I can't use this and that's how I know that I'm going to do better in my life, you don't have that barometer. Instead, what you have to do in eating disorder recovery is learn how to be in relationship with the thing that you're in deep harm with. And that's why it takes so long. And also because you need food to live. You, you don't have the ability to have abstinence and you need it many, many times in the day, right? So it's this ongoing, ever-connecting process of learning how to be with a thing that you've been so deeply harmful with and coming up against that time after time after time, multiple times in the day, each and every day for the rest of your life. The way that we think about recovery at the center is that it actually really does need to be comprehensive. Part of, part of the work in recovery is not only about learning how to be in a safe and healthy relationship with food and learning how to engage with food in ways that are beyond those rules and rituals that a person has followed for so for so long. It's learning how to be with food. It's learning how to have safety with food and also to rehabilitate the body so that a person is medically safe and stable. But it's also about helping people get to those deeper root causes and facing the things in themselves and in their lives that have led them to harm. 
right? So when we think about the work, we're thinking about doing the food work with people and helping them through meal after meal, snack after snack, processing all of those pieces and really holding in them through the distress of engaging with food in new and different ways, while also complementing that work with supporting them emotionally and psychologically and relationally and with their families. So individual therapy and family therapy and couple therapy. And then the other part of comprehensive care for us is also recognizing that when a person has an eating disorder, the other massive piece that it impacts is the body. And so when someone has an eating disorder, they're really deeply disconnected from their body and learning how to help them to reconnect to their body. We do that in a lot of different ways. It could be through movement or yoga or mindfulness or meditation. There's so much that we hold in our body. You know, so much also happens to us in our life, to our body. And our body is like the home of our life. We take it everywhere we go. We're in it through every experience. So really learning how to have your mind and your body actually be in relationship again, which is something that is completely, um, you know, ruined when you have an eating disorder. So that's a big part of the work too. And then also making sure that um, you're medically monitored and medically stable because the risks to health are very, very severe. When you're diagnosed with an eating disorder and you, you know, get involved in therapy and recovery, are you always in recovery forever? I will cheerlead and say that this is not, this does not have to be like a life, never ending life journey. I think that people can live free and well and safely with food and their body without having to keep on dropping into eating disorder recovery or always watching themselves. A lot of that really depends on the the deeper work that people are doing, age and stage of life, um, different kinds of things that allow people to really move into more freedom. I also think that the longer you have been well, the the you know the the clearer this all becomes. But I don't feel like people have to feel people have to think like I've ha- I have I've had an eating disorder or I have an eating disorder and I'm going to have this forever and ever or at least have to be mindful of this forever and ever. I think I think it's really possible to to live far beyond it. I think that's encouraging. And I think that's great to hear because, you know, we all go through periods in our lives where you, you know, different things. So maybe looking at this experience, you know, 10 years from now for somebody who had an eating disorder, say, oh, you know, it's just a period of my life. And I thankfully did the work to kind of climb out of it. And I've moved on. Now, beginning of February was um, Eating Disorder Awareness Week. So it was February 1st to 7th. Let's talk about the initiative. What does that mean? What kind of awareness were you bringing? It was national, correct? Yeah, Eating Disorder Awareness Week in Canada, February 1st to 7th. And really just a, a week to bring forth what eating disorders are to dispel misinformation, to spread the word about the truths of eating disorders, and to give voice to people who suffer and who suffer in silence, which is unfortunately so many Canadians. And so I think it's a really important week. It should, to me, it should be like an everyday, every 
week kind of thing. But um, I think I think the fact that eating disorders are being spoken about and are being recognized nationally is 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 actually an incredibly important thing. It's always a pleasure pleasure having you on the show. If listeners want to learn more about you, or if they're looking to find help for a loved one or somebody they know who might be struggling with an eating disorder, how can they do that? Well, um, we're we're always happy to help anyone through the center at www.kylafoxcenter.com. And um, our hashtags are at Kyla Fox Center for Facebook and um, Instagram for the center. And then I'm at Kyla Fox Recovery. Amazing. Thank you. And you can always find me on Instagram at Claudia underscore Macchiella or my website, ClaudiaMacchiella.com. That's my show for this week. If you missed it, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, and of course, Audible. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you for listening. I hope this helps you live your best life. The Wellness Prescription was brought to you by Healthy Planet. Order online at HealthyPlanetCanada.com or go online to find a location nearest you.